Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standing and I do cover the Washington football team for The Athletic and excited for another episode here to drop on you guys. My guest today, you know him, Brian Mitchell, former Washington Redskins player, longtime local analyst, current uh, co-host on the Finley and B. Mitch uh, show on 106.7 The Fan uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, look, because B. Mitchell does talk uh, all the time now about this team, I didn't. we didn't talk about some of the conventional topics, but we did get into a few things that I think you guys will find interesting, including a connection I made between this sort of, uh, this all this idea of culture change and the roster turnover under Ron Rivera doesn't compare at all to what Beamage himself experienced when he was with the team at the very, very beginning of the Dan Snyder era and the turnover there that led to him uh, moving on, just like Ryan Kerrigan get, did to the Eagles. Um, I make a connection and explain why there is something there to consider. Not necessarily saying it's the same, but something to consider. We also talked about a... Uh, a lineup scenario that nobody else is discussing. And we get into some fun topics with B Mitch, including if he could fight uh, anybody in a celebrity boxing match, who would he pick? The answer was a fun one. So I'll plenty to get to there with B Mitch. And I'll also share some quick thoughts going into this OTA week. Uh, the media is back out on Wednesday. We'll share some thoughts on that as well. Um, as far as the wizards, I'm talking to you guys on, um, uh, Monday afternoon, game four of their series against the 76ers is going on tonight. If you want to hear me talk about whatever happens tonight, you can check out the, the Fred Katz's Wizards After Dark podcast. I'll be doing that with him post game. But if you want to read some thoughts from me right now on the Wizards and with the Washington football team, you can do that on The Athletic. I have a story up today about how both these teams had very similar seasons. And it's uh, both in terms of the terrible start, all the focus was about the conversation outside the team was then about the draft and the future. And instead, both these teams worried about the present. They had these incredible rallies to make the playoffs. But was it better or for worse for one or the other that to have potentially sacrificed some long-term growth for short-term gain? I uh, It's gotten a lot of attention on social media. I hope you guys will have a chance to read it and share with me your thoughts as well. So we'll get to all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can subscribe to on uh, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, some of you guys just continually be very nice messages on iTunes as well as uh, comments in the athletics uh, comment section of articles. Again, really do appreciate it. Uh, I, I say that, but I want you guys to, everybody to know I, I sincerely mean it. It really means a lot. You do this job. I'm talking to you right now. I don't know if anybody's going to listen. I see the numbers suggest that they do and the comments as well, but you never know. And, you know, same thing with the writing. You do, you, you kind of have this job in isolation. You never know what's going to be out, who's paying attention. And I really appreciate the fact that somebody do. And even if the people who, who, who uh, like with my current article, uh, are saying they're against it, uh, my, my take, which I don't understand why they're against it, but uh, that that I really appreciate. Uh, I appreciate that you you share, you want to share your opinion. And when I say I don't know why they get it, I guess my point is when I state, if you just look at the tweet, which is sort of like that they both, the football team and the Wizards, potentially sacrificed long-term progress for short-term gain. I think people are inferring that I'm saying that the football team has, in fact, done that. I, 
I didn't really say that. I'm just saying as I'm not going to step on the article too much or the column too much, but we all get it, right? By winning as they did, they went from picking, forget top five, at least 10 or 11, but maybe even top five to um, picking 19, which meant no quarterback. And we have no idea if any of these five quarterbacks that were drafted high in the first round will ever be good from Trevor Lawrence on down. What we just know is they didn't have a chance to draft one. And in this league, this the the clearest uh, way to sustain, sustain success is having a top-shelf quarterback. And for the football team, that is going to have to wait um, from a long-term perspective. And that was my only point. But it's the, it, there, are very simil- there are a lot of similarities between what they did this year and the Wizards, as Scott Turner himself said on this very podcast. But uh, enough of that. You can go read. Uh, go read that article. Um, before we get to B. Mitch, a couple of quick, uh, a couple of quick uh, thoughts about thing, where things were at. Um, first off, uh, obviously, OTA will be out there on Wednesday. Um, and if you didn't hear by now, there's typically three separate OTA sessions, each lasting three days, followed by a three-day mandatory mini camp. The OTAs are voluntary. And we know that, as of course, as Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and Charles Leno were out all three days um, last week. I'll get to that point in a, in, a, in a second. In any event, the um, the OTA schedule, um, Rivera decided to cancel the third week of OTAs and bump up the um, the mandatory minicamp up a full week. So all of us, <laughs> the players and the media, we're all going to essentially get at, get to be done. A bit earlier, that's very nice of Rivera. And look, last year they didn't have any OTAs. Uh, apparently, he liked what he was seeing from the team um, at this point, and decided that that was he had seen. He he believed they were already progressing enough that he felt that they could do this. And and I think it's a, it's gonna, it's a really interesting move. Let, let's just take Ron Rivera at his at, that it's a sincere desire that he he feels that these guys have already the fact that you know eighty six players showed up. Or roughly 86 players that, you know, Steven Sims was at the first two days. They signed a tight end after the first day. So in any event, almost everybody showed up minus a couple of players. I checked with a bunch of my colleagues around the athletic, and that was a very rare circumstance. I think the Cincinnati Bengals had essentially 100% attendance. Some teams weren't even close, much more in the 50% range, if that. So um, I think Rivera probably recognizes the lay of the land. In, in this in this year in particular, why it's unique and different, and therefore um, decided that and I say unique and different because you have the NFLPA, you know, was encouraging players to focus on the voluntary part of this thing, and in some cases that's what they clearly did. But some teams, it's not even they don't even show up that often normally. Washington really had pretty good attendance under the Jay Gruden era as well. Obviously, it didn't lead to winning <laughs> necessarily or nothing consistent. So in and of itself, that doesn't mean anything um there are other teams where a lot of the key veterans over the years have determined that they don't need to show up for these otas and they are on teams that end up do winning so it's not necessarily a precursor to winning but it does say something about um in this case i think where the players how the players view rivera we've talked about that and he's i think rewarding them accordingly now that said uh will but what about the three guys who, who were out last week um i'm told charles leno will be at OTA this week, I, I do not know definitively about Chase Young and Montez Sweat at this point. As I told you guys right that day when when we found out they weren't there, that they would be, quote, in and out of um, out of Ashburn. 
for the, for these times. I, I'm not too worried about either of them being out of shape or anything along those lines. And it, yes, it is a little curious as to why they chose to not. Maybe we'll find out whenever we have a chance to talk to Chase Young and Montez Sweat. But in any event, we'll see if they are around this week for OTAs or not. Um, what else is there? So so Charles Leno will be out there, and I, presumably he'll be with the, with the starting left tackle group, and then, therefore we'll see where Sadiq Charles lines up this week. That was one of the interesting aspects of last week, seeing him at left tackle. Perhaps he's more inside now at guard. Uh, we will see on that. Um, I do want to make a, a, a one p- point about OTAs. I, I have a, a new uh, article that's going to come out here on The Athletic Maybe by the time, maybe by the time some of you hear this, but sometime soon, just a mailbag article. And I got a lot of great questions. I think there were over 70 questions, which blew my mind. And I appreciate that. Um, and about some of them sort of along the lines of what are you seeing at OTAs? And, you know, what, what, how does, how does this person look? And, you know, just to be clear, I, I don't think I'm pulling back the curtain behind, you know, for some of you, but, you know, we're only out for a very limited time for the OTA session. They'll practice three days. We're out there for one. Um, and, you know, we can see some things to a, to a degree for sure, right? Uh, when the um, when they're doing some sort of a seven on seven or nine on nine or eleven on eleven, it's all is essentially happening in front of us. But everything is, of course, limited. The defensive backs are not looking to lay out receivers, and there's no tackling, and you know, everything is a, is a bit more muted in that regard. It's more about focusing on the little things, and and you know sort of being, you know, if you're a defender, being prepared to be in a certain position. Um, but I say all that in just to, to, to note that people are asking sort of in the sense of what are we seeing out there with any regularity? And honestly, I, did, I just want to be clear. Like the answer is we're not out there regular enough to see anything. Now we will be out because they canceled the last OTA session. We will be out there for all three days of the mandatory mini camp. So that will be a pretty good uh, opportunity for sure. But, um, you know, like I said, the, the, the point is just to note that um, we don't see everything. And even when we're out there, right? I mean, look, you guys know how it is. Imagine you're at a game, you're in the stands, you're saying, okay, for this play, I'm going to watch the middle linebacker. I'm going to watch Jamin Davis and see what he does on, on a given play or a series or whatever. But but the ball may not be in his direction. So you can maybe watch a couple of things here and there, but maybe that's not really where the play is evolving. And also, that's not easy, right? We all tend to watch the ball. So if Ryan Fitzpatrick throws a pass down the field to Cam Sims, I can maybe tell you what the, what that's happening. I can't necessarily tell you that on the other sideline, you know, Kelvin Harmon or Antonio Gandy-Golden, you know, looked sluggish out of their breaks, or maybe they, you know, blew past the defensive back. If I'm watching it and I notice something, I will tell you. But other than that, like, it can't, you know, we can't tell you everything. So, I mean, I don't know what other people say, but, you know, that's just the reality of it. But that doesn't, obviously, I, I wrote it in very lengthy take a, a story after the first OTA about observations and, you know, I'm, eyes are open, paying attention. And, you know, you also talk to Ron Rivera, you talk to the players, we'll get the coordinators coming up. So, you know, you have the chance to talk to them and get their insight as well. And that's part of this for sure. What Ron Rivera and the players say is more important in, in many ways than what I or others think. And that's part of the, um, that's part of the uh, story for sure. Now, going back at this week, what are some of the things to consider? Look, I, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of skip some of the obvious things. The, the you know, How's Ryan Fitzpatrick doing? How's Jamin Davis looking? What do we think of Curtis Samuel? You know, some of that stuff. But a couple of just little things I was thinking about that I haven't really touched on yet, either here or on The Athletic. I'm kind of wondering about the running back situation from the standpoint. What if Antonio Gibson were to, unfortunately, miss some time with injuries? 
Now, this happened last year, and J.D. McKissick stepped up. And in general, J.D. McKissick, I think, obviously had one of the more under, you know, one of the more surprising seasons to the extent that he was as productive as he was as a, as a pass catcher and and sometimes a, a, as a running back. But if Gibson were to miss actual time, like, you know, we, we know what McKissick is. He's, you know, I don't know how long we keep saying he's like Chris Thompson because McKissick will now, this is now his second year. And, um, you know, uh, we should probably start viewing him as the template for the third down back. But you know what I mean? Smaller back, not somebody you necessarily are going to give the ball to 20 times a game. Certainly not running the ball. So what would they do if Gibson were to miss some time? I, I don't know. I think that's, you know, when we talk about what are some holes, I, you can't, you know, there's always something, right? You can't solve all your issues. But I don't really think there is an answer to who would be the, who would take over. And I think this is where, you know, the third running back spot or possibly four, if they decided to go that route, is interesting. Peyton Barber was incredibly effective last year as a short yardage back. But, but overall, he was not somebody that you were looking to give the ball to. His yards per carry average is, pump, is uh has dropped in each of his professional seasons. And, um, you know, I wouldn't think that he would be that guy. Lamar Miller is the other obvious veteran on the team. And there was a point in his career where Lamar Miller was a really good starting running back. But I think we're past those days. Now, can he be effective? Um, you know, we'll see. He came in last year and, you know, didn't really have much of an opportunity to do much. Could it, could he conceivably be that guy? Maybe. I, I, I'm not there yet. Um, the other, of course, wild card is a guy like Jared Patterson, the undrafted free agent out of Buffalo who, you know, set all kinds of production records in college uh, for uh, over 400 yards rushing with eight touchdowns in a single game, so on and so on. You know, look, he's an undrafted free agent rookie. It would be unrealistic to, for me to sit here and tell you he's making this team, nor do I think it's a lock that he that, that, that he would. Um, and look, at his size, I also can't sit here and tell you that, yes, he's a guy that when you would say, here, you run the ball 15 to 20 times in a given game. But he's he's stout. He, he's got some power and he's got some wiggle. So um, I just think it's an interesting consideration. It's a, it, it's, a, it's not the biggest topic. It's not who, you know, who's going to be the, the when are they going to bring in veterans to, to back up Chase Young and Montez Sweat, things like that. But it's just something, um, something to note. Um, some other things to consider when you talk about, as Ron Rivera does often, how about the competition on this team and the depth on this team, you know, you do have to ask some questions like what are some, who are some vets that, you know, could be in trouble down the line. Um, we have a long way to go before we get to final cuts, right, In uh, before the season starts. That's, that's, that's weeks and weeks out. So not really looking to speculate per se. But I just mentioned Peyton Barber. I think you'd have to at least wonder how safe is his, is his role if, in fact, they look at it like I just mentioned, that, hey, it's not just about being the short yardage back or being a... Um, a guy who can help a little bit on special teams, but like, what if in fact something were to happen to our main running back, what do we do? Um, so, you know, pop potentially he's, he's, uh, you know, somebody that could be on the roster bubble. I, I would have him on right now, but just saying somebody to consider the, the offensive line, even after moving on from Morgan Moses and Jaron Christian, there are plenty of vets who potentially could be on the outside. Um, you know, Wes Martin was a starter at the beginning of last year at left guard. I don't know that he has a spot on this on this roster. Uh, Tyler Larson was signed as a free agent this offseason coming over from Carolina where Ron Rivera and Marty Herney obviously knew him. And he was doing some work at center during the first OTA that we saw with Keith Ishmael at, at, at uh, playing some guard. Now, I would think that Ishmael was drafted by Ron Rivera, 
would have the inside track to stay, especially if just a younger guy, if nothing else. But we'll see. Is is is, is you know is there room for Larson as well? That that's going to be an interesting question for sure. If they keep ten to ten offensive linemen, that's more plausible. But then you also have guys like David Sharp as well. Uh, you know, at tackle that yes, they just eliminated some tackles. But with you have Charles Leno, you have Sam Cosme, you have Cornelius Lucas. That's three. If we're gonna, if we consider Sadiq Charles a tackle, that's four. Uh, so you know where are we at with the. Um, with all these guys. So I think some of the offensive line remains something to keep an eye on. And same thing at receiver, you know, it's pretty easy to sort of point to a handful of guys who are going to be on this team one way or the other, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Deami Brown. Uh, I would think Cam Sims barring injuries. I would think Adam Humphreys. Then Antonio Gandy golden was a fourth round pick a year ago. Kelvin Harmon, Steven Sims, Isaiah Wright, uh, D- uh, Dak Milne, the uh, the seventh round pick, you know, there's going to be some names at receiver that maybe they won't be a surprise, but some guys, some some notables won't won't be won't be uh won't be around. And then lastly, just sort of a wild card, DeShazer Everett. I'll mention. Look, obviously DeShazer Everett has been a special teams leader for this group for years, and Nate Katzer was kept as the coordinator even through the previous administration. So, you know, moving on from DeShazer Everett is not something I would say would be a lock by any stretch. At the same time. You know, they just drafted a kid in Derek Forrest who looks like he's a sort of a special teams demon um, who plays safety. Um, you know, where do you find space for him if you have Landon Collins, if you have Cam Curl? You just signed Bobby McCain. If you were to keep Forrest, that's four safeties right there. Now, you can keep five for sure, and Everett could be could be one of those guys. Uh, Troy Apke was playing some cornerback last week, so maybe if he's going to make the team, it's in sort of that um, hybrid role, but you know, uh, I'm just saying, like, if at some point, you know, it comes down to, um, you know, who do you keep? I could easily see them going with a rookie special teamer in Forrest versus a veteran in Everett, who unfortunately for him has not been able to stay healthy in his career. Now, of course, Everett also did contribute last year as a as an actual safety and, and provided a real hitting presence. I thought out there, a real physical uh, presence. But at the same time, again, you now have McCain to help out as well. So uh, just so some names to consider. Again, I'm not remotely suggesting any of these guys are in trouble. I'm just saying we can't, you know, somebody will, some some names won't be won't be sticking around. And those are some ones that sort of came to mind for sure. Um, another thing to watch is something I'm going to get into here in just a moment though with, with Brian Mitchell. What position or what lineup, I should say, is not being discussed enough that is uh, something to worry about a little bit if I'm talking to Brian Mitchell, I'm going to let you guess what that might be. But no point in guessing when I'm going to start the B. Mitch interview because that's going to be right now. Fun conversation with uh, Brian Mitchell, who I should have mentioned at the top, is all, is here in part because he's got a children's book to promote. We'll get into that as well here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Um, uh, you know, some people don't need an introduction. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm pretty positive you know who Brian Mitchell is. So we don't really, we can spare the the background. Although he does a, a radio show with J.P. Finley on 106.7, a fan from sit from 10 to 2. He'd probably like you to be aware of that. And he's got a, a, a new children's book out that um, we're going to talk about as well. So first and foremost, you just got off the radio. Like, what's it like getting off the radio? Do you still have the, you have like the same adrenaline? Like when you get off, when you got done a game, like you're like just flying high. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it, I'm like that 24 seven to be honest with you, Ben. Uh, ben. Uh, I, I'm, I wake up in the morning and I've always had this little motto. I say, oh, you put your feet on the floor and you won't go back to sleep. 
So once I put my feet on the floor, I'm up and ready for the day. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll uh, divert here from the football topics for a second because you are a guy that like you you constantly t- uh, post on various social media. You're you're always on the uh, on the bike. You put out some inspirational messages. And depending where I am on a given day or week, my mood can be pretty decent or just disaster. And I don't want to get out of bed. And then I see sometimes I do see some of your stuff, and I'm like. This guy is always like highly uh, going, and like even like you, the fact that you're even on your bike, you're still in great shape. You know, a lot of former athletes, let's just say, lose it once mm-hmm. they stop playing. What, 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 like, so you're saying you have this motivation? Like, what, like, what, how do you actually, how does that actually manifest itself? Because it's easy to say that, but like every day to do it. Well, you know, growing up in a military household, my dad was in uh, in the army, and uh, ever since I was a young kid, getting up at six o'clock on a Saturday morning wasn't out the ordinary, you know, we did that on a regular basis. We had uh, animals and all on our, you know, on the property. So we had to get up and make sure that the animals ate. If we're going to get eggs from the chickens and we're going to have any uh, food later on, we had pigs and all those things. We had to make sure we take care of them. And then I think it was just something that was uh, put into me by my father and my mom, where they always say, don't just expect things, lead by example. So I have kids myself and I, I've always had people tell me that the things I do motivates them. So I want to try to keep being that type of person. Not only does it motivate them, it motivates me, you know, because like when, and the thing about, I'm still very competitive. You know, I don't, I can't play football anymore, you know, because I'm a little older, I'm probably a little slower than I need to be. But whenever I do something the day before, or two days before, the next time I do it, I want to beat that time. So I'm always competing against myself. And in a, it just, it, 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 like when I, when I was leaving professional football, I wondered, where can I find uh, whatever, what, what sport, what, 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 uh, anything that I can find that can give me that, 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 that ability to compete. So golf, riding bikes, you know, anything, you know, trying to work out and do things and just keep myself in shape. And I know I run into a lot of younger guys that hang out. They can't keep up with me. So I feel good about that. <laughs> I, 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 I hear you. I, I, I can respect, I can respect that. Um, you mentioned the military background, like to connect it to Washington, obviously Ron Rivera mm-hmm. comes from that as well and talks about it a lot. And then in, in, you know, sometimes there's all just coach speak, you know, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta play hard and do all the right things. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like with him, it doesn't feel like that it's a put on. It feels like this is a, a very basic part of his, of, his, of, of who he of who he is and it does seem like in this sport I don't necessarily know always if say that approach would work say in basketball where like the, or the NBA where like players are a little more like hey we're kind of running the show but in football it does seem to lend itself a bit a bit more like what's your sense of as a guy with that military background when Rivera talks about that do you buy into his message because it's the one he gives to the team and, and do you buy into it that it's like an authentic one in that, in that way yeah I buy into it because I believe that of all the sports, when you look at football, it is closest to, and I'm not comparing this sport to a military. Sure. But you look at the military where certain people do certain things. Okay, you look at pro football, certain people do certain things. Just look at the offensive line. Guards and tackles have different mindsets and different agendas. Okay, the center basically is a guy who who's running things. He may be considered the general. You know, now you got the quarterback and the running back receivers. And then you flip it over. What the offense does really may not affect what the defense does. You know what I'm saying? So when you look at the military, like the Air Force, and the Air Force does things in a sense that can help out the Army. Air Force comes through with the air raids and here come the Army on the, on the ground. 
the defense may be able to do something where they get a team off real quick and keep giving the ball back to the offense. That helps out. But then again, it could be something that completely is different. That doesn't help them out at all. So it, I think it, it kind of th- – that that game of football is more to what my dad always told me about things. And like he always said, your partners are depending on you. So you look at football. If one person screws up, it can mess up a whole play. In basketball, one person can screw up and you still can score more points than the other team. You know what I mean? In football, that rarely, rarely happens all the time. So uh, I think that that mindset with Coach Rivera's teaching, I always thought, believe in the chain of command. You know, uh, on this football team, it's been many, many years where their players were dictating to the people above them because they were able to go straight to the top. And now what Coach Rivera is putting in place is very similar to what Joe Gibbs had. Coach Gibbs was the end-all, be-all when it came down to football. And everything else fell below him. And I, for some reason, I believe when the coach seems to be the final say, the players are more, dis- more disciplined. The players listen more. They believe that they have to impress that man, the coach. You know, and let, listen, I, nobody is perfect. But just having that, where the guys are going to respect you, and they have this healthy fear of what you could possibly do, that makes a difference. You know, my dad is the man I love the most in, the, in my in my whole life. But guess what? I also had that healthy fear of what, what could possibly happen if I did something wrong. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. <laughs> you know, you kind of set up perfectly what I wanted to get into with you because um, like I was, you know, people know, like I was a fan of this team at the in the Joe Gibbs era. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's only been in more recent years that I started doing this stuff. So I was watching this team, you know, since even before Joe Gibbs got here. I am I am that old. Um, and um, I always thought, like, without without relitigating all things that have happened over the last twenty years under Dan Snyder, and people point to this different things that have that went wrong. I always thought, to me, it all started with one simple thing, and that was when he got hit when he bought the team in nineteen ninety nine, and you guys won ten games with with North Turner, and you know Brad Johnson's a quarterback, and like you still had you and Brian Mitch or and Daryl Green, and I think Kirk Govea was on the team, so there's not a lot of guys who were still around from the Gibbs era, but at least there were some, some whiffs of that time. And I know things were not always great with Norv, but okay, maybe things were starting to ascend and you had Brad Johnson, who was obviously a very good quarterback and so on. And then the next year is when everything that sort of set up what happened over the next 20 years began. They brought in the Bruce Smiths and the Deion Sanders and, and Jeff George. And it went from being, what do we stand for to be a member of the Washington Redskins at the time to mercenaries were kind of in the locker room dictating what was happening. And I always thought that Daryl Green one in particular, sorry, the Deion Sanders in particular, if my memory is accurate is it's not that just brought in him and we can debate whether that was a bad move. And obviously it didn't work out in the sense that, you know, he left after a year, but in that move, they moved on from you because he was going to be the guy effectively doing the returning. You then went to the Eagles, whether it was the exact word, but more or less some version of that. And Daryl Green, who obviously was, you know, uh, you know, arguably the best player in franchise history kind of gets relegated to this other role. And now who are the voices? And it felt like for the next many years, I mean, up until fairly recently, this became the issue that there was no uh, sense of what it meant to be a member of this team. And I bring all this up because I think some people might think now when Rivera is getting rid of, I'd not say I shouldn't say get rid of, but like they move on from Morgan Moses. They, they don't bring back Ryan Kerrigan. There's arguably some sense of like, Hey, is this happening Again, as a new guy coming in. But the difference I would see is that, no, because this group has the John Allens, the 
the the Terry McLaurin's, maybe Chase Young is too young, but whatever. Like you have a, a foundation there that does seem to be, hey, we, we're getting back to what it means to be a, a person of this team. And Rivera himself is setting that tone because of how he d- goes about things like we just discussed. So I'm curious, like as you're watching this and if you hear people complaining about getting rid of guys, do you see the the, the parallels and yet the obvious differences as well? I see the parallels and I also see the differences, but I think uh... – the end result is the same in both situations where the people that you're replacing the guys with that were there, they better work. Because if the guy that replaces Morgan is successful, you don't have a problem with the fact that he was gone. Right now, today, we can't see it. And that's why I kind of, I kind of like, I don't get too into it like a lot of people do, because my thing is, you just better make sure that the people that you replace them with comes in and plays better than them because people don't remember who was there unless the person that replaces them doesn't play better. Okay. And I think ultimately, like when back in the day, it was the thing that connected you to the past, the Super Bowls, the consistent playoffs. And they got rid of those guys, you know, myself. And they started to you know, diminish what Daryl meant for this team and things of that nature. But in this situation now, what are they really reaching back to? As much as we can name a lot of the guys on this football team that has come about, it's not a history of winning over the last 20 plus years. So when Ron comes in and tries to change up stuff, I see a lot of his similarities kind of the way he is kind of with how Coach Gibbs was. But ultimately, when you make moves, you're judged based off of the success of what happens in the future. And if, if the guys are successful, is Cosme is successful, uh, Leno is successful, you have no issues. I think you have no issues. Uh, people already saw what could be the replacement for, for Ryan Carrington is, is, uh, is Chase Young and also Montez Sweat. So they're already happy about that. And you understand, people just love Ryan so much because he was a positive. He was a consistent force here. But And then he went to a, a rivalry, same team I went to, <laughs> that you yeah. hate seeing that. But I just think that change is inevitable. And I don't have a problem with change happening. I just hope that the change is made for the right reason. And like Ron stated, they have some young guys they feel can play and they want to see them play. If that's the end all be all of it, 100%. I just hope there's nothing else. Um, yeah, no, uh, it's for the most part, I mean, I no disrespect to any of these guys. I don't think they got rid of anybody that is like, wow. It's a devastating loss. The Moses one is the closest to that because we don't know. I mean, Sam Cosme is a rookie. We have no idea what he's going to do. And Cornelius Lucas did play last year, but, you know, he's kind of was brought in as a swing tackle, not viewed as like a, a definitive mm-hmm. starter. So it's it's unclear. They obviously seem to like Cosme. They drafted him in the second round. That's generally a spot you draft the guy you think will play. So, um, you know, they obviously have some hopes there. But, yeah, it is interesting um, in, in that regard. Um, I, I, I was thinking to myself, like, okay, I, B. Mitch talks every day on the radio. I don't want to ask the same questions about the offseason and the quarterback and all that. But I did think of a topic that is directly up your alley. I, you probably have discussed it, but I haven't discussed it. Like when, 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 I, when we discussed broadly what holes does this team have, like they've largely filled most of them, if not all of them. The only real question right now is sort of the, the, the Ryan Kerrigan spot, like who is the backup defensive end. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess there's someone settling at tight end behind Logan Thomas, but by and large, they filled a lot of their holes, except for one. Mm-hmm. Do they have a returner on this team? Like, it's a position that has become so 
I hate to say it, especially talking to you, but devalued because of the, the with, with kickoffs and, and, you know, the moving the ball up and touchbacks like Danny Johnson was doing it last year. He was fine. But like, I never think anybody thought, wow, Danny Johnson was this great threat. And, you know, the punt returns are still can be important. And I don't I don't even know. I'm not saying there's not guys who could do it, but we didn't even I don't think we've even discussed it collectively. So as you I'm sure you thought about it because it's yeah, what I'm- you did. I've thought about it a lot. Danny Johnson is a guy who, who's done it. You got Steven Sims who's done it. Uh, I would believe that a guy like a McLaurin could do it, but you know, he's your number one guy. You probably won't do him. Um, we, with the receiver that they just signed, I can't say, uh, Samuel, uh, Curtis Samuel, I would think he's a guy who can do it. But the ultimate thing about that position is not about the fastest or whatever, is who's going to consistently catch the ball and get upfield. It's that simple. You know, when you watch a guy like Steven Sims, he catches the ball, he hesitates, he's, he's, he's squared up with his, both of his feet side by side when he catches the ball, and he'll start left or right. You watch the guys that are successful. When they catch the football, they're taking a first step up the field because that first initial step up the field is going to affect the people that are covering. And when you affect those people, now you begin to see the lanes and things of that nature. Um, I sometimes wonder... How fast do they practice it? You know, I'm looking at when you consistently do the same thing as a return man, then all of a sudden your blockers become a lot more consistent. When we talk about running backs, the running backs that dance around and stuff, the offensive linemen don't know where they are. You see penalties, you see a lot of lost yardage. But the the running backs that consistently hit it, all of a sudden the blockers know what they need to do. Uh, So right now when you look at the kick return, they have nullified that. But the punt return, your defense just held a team to fourth down and they're punting the ball. This could be a momentum swing. And it's not just catching the football. It's catching it and getting some effective yards out there to give your offense the best field position possible. I haven't seen anyone that consistently does that. You know, I hear about how fast everybody runs. Oh, this guy's 4-3. This guy's 4-4. Who gives a damn if he's not going upfield? Who gives a damn if he's not going to effectively affect the coverage teams? I wasn't the guy that they would say run 4-3. I did run 4-3-9 as my rookie season. I was 4-4-1 when I was running it. But I caught the ball, and I came at you full speed, okay? And the thing about it was I'm going to give you one move. I'm going to try to tear your arm off. And that right there, consistently doing that, enabled me to do the things that I did for 14 years. And I think guys have to have that mindset, and that's what the coach needs to preach. Yes, you might be a 4-3, but you're not breaking everyone. And if you try to break everyone and dance around, you're going to lose more yards than you probably gain. Just be consistent there. Feel the football, get up the field, and do it consistently so your officers, so your blockers will know where you're going to be and what you're going to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to add to that because I don't know anything. Uh, but, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you mentioned Danny Johnson and Steven Sims. I don't know that either one of them make the team. I think Danny Johnson is certainly in the mix to be one of the deep corners. Steven Sims, I think it's odds are against him. I mean, I think I think he has the ability. He could be that guy that can break things open. He could have been that slot guy. But his inconsistency is the reason that you see guys like Humphreys here now, you know, right. Curtis Sanders and all those other guys that are here now. So, And then when you look at a guy like Cam Sims, you know, Cam Sims is a taller guy who seems to make plays every time he gets on the football field. So you may think one of them is going to be the Sims man out, say like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, 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 it could be. Um, I, I want to get to some some of the random questions that I ask people when they when they come on for the first time, and then okay. we'll get to why 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 you're here for sure. Um, Twitter, 
you are on Twitter. Uh, people follow you on Twitter. Who is a person that doesn't follow you on Twitter that you wish did? You can you can aim big. You can be you petty. What? Whatever you want. Honest with you, <laughs> I. I don't really care. <laughs> I, know I, I know you don't care because that's who I'm you more, are. But... I, I was, I was, I initially got on Twitter because a job said we should, <clears throat> and then I started doing little things where people were affected by what I was saying and what I was doing. And for me now, hearing just the normal people saying, "You got me." I have a guy that follows me on Twitter and Instagram. He's like seventy-some years old, and he say he walks five miles a day because he saw me starting to do it. I'm impressed by that more than I would be a name or a, a star or somebody like that. You know, the people, the, the simple people that got inspired by something that I did. I love that, you know? And I would say, if I want somebody to follow me that would probably give me some clout, I would go with Dr. Eric Thomas, ET. He's a motivational speaker. If he was to say, follow B. Mitch, that would probably make me feel the best because listening to him has motivated me tremendously. All right. Good, good, good answer. Um, you were an athlete. You were people's favorite athlete. Who was your favorite athlete growing up? My favorite growing up was Muhammad Ali. Uh, and then later on, Michael Jordan, because those were two guys that uh, basically what they decided they wanted to do, they did. No matter how you said or what you said about something, they did exactly what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. And I think Muhammad Ali for me was an athlete who basically uh, uh, he didn't just stay an athlete. He became a global icon. He was able to do things that some presidents couldn't do. He was able to do things that some priests couldn't do because people believed in him so much. And he believed in his him himself so much that he fought as far as he can to make sure I don't believe in that. I'm not going to do it. And I, and I think people like that are the people that re- kind of motivate me more, even more. All right. Uh, this next question is another staple. And as I'm about to ask it, I just realized it's slightly weird now that I'm about to ask you this question, but we all understand that Brian Mitchell should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and we have silly people running this world. But this isn't about that. This is on a much sillier scale. Based on a hobby or a habit, what is a Hall of Fame that you qualify to enter? Uh, we, we have recent people have said they, they're in the Starbucks Hall of Fame. JP and I are in the 7-Eleven Hall of Fame. It could be... <laughs> You're you're into you're you're into puppets. I don't know. Whatever it is, what's a Hall of Fame you qualify in based on a hobby or a habit? Oh man, I have two hobbies that I do on a regular basis, and that's riding bikes and golfing. And I don't know if I could be in a Hall of Fame for my my level or the the ability I've gained with it, but the mere fact of the 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 dedication and the uh, the how much I put into it, I think uh, a bike riding slash golfer hall of fame like if you could go like a parlay i'm parlaying my hall of fame i'm in bike riding and like yeah i think just uh yesterday i went out i rode and then i went walk nine miles walk i mean walk nine uh nine holes i rode 20 miles and walked nine holes if i could do that on a daily basis it'd be the best thing in the world (laughs) Uh, all right i I like it um i was on the we're, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon and I was on the radio with you guys, you and JP today. And I forget the question, but you guys asked me something about who do I agree with? Cause you both had different opinions. And I said, well, one of you could hurt me and the other one is JP. So I'm going to go with B Mitch. <laughs> um, based on that, like, you know, I imagine you could still ha- handle yourself in the ring as it were in celebrity boxing and celebrity MMA is kind of a thing. So hypothetically they come to you and say, Hey, we're doing a thing for charity. We'd like to get you in the ring, but you get to pick your opponent. Stephen Anybody you want, who would you pick? <laughs> Stephen A. Smith. 
Really? Yes. Why? Why him? Uh, you know, Stephen is just that guy who. A lot of people in the media. They. They go overboard with things at times, because basically they know there's nothing a person can do to him. Because you know he, he's a figure, and they'll, anything happened, they would automatically know. So if we were in like a charity boxing match. I would have the license and the, the the right to beat the hell out of him. And we'll still be friends because we've had our arguments before, but we're still buddies today. But I would still, I would like to, I would like to do this thing with him. I would like to see if he can handle him. A lot of people talk a game. I would love to see if he can handle his game as much as his mouth says he can. Well, I think if I if if uh, one of the betting sites were to put uh, odds on that, I think I would take your side. Um, <laughs> is there any like former like NFL contemporary uh, opponent or maybe even a teammate? I don't know somebody who could maybe from a physical perspective might be a little more uh, interesting that you would like to get in there with. You know what is the thing about me? I would I wouldn't like to deal with anybody my size. I won't. I like. I never was a guy when I fought when I was younger. I, I didn't deal with guys my my size. It was always bigger people. So you know, it's a it's a few D tackles on a team that I didn't see eye to eye with that I would like to see if they can handle themselves. You know, few and it's like I I'm, I won't say a particular name, but I've had I've had some scuffles with defensive tackles, and I would love to, you know, see if we can run that thing running up running again, running well. back for a round two. Now nah, I'm trying to remember if Dana Stubblefield was playing in your air or not. Uh, well, he, he Dana didn't want none of this. You know, you just got to run a little bit, get him tired, then I'll take him out. Um, all right, and lastly, um, you know, life brings life throws curves curveballs at you, and you're, you're surprised by some things. Uh, you came out with a children's book. If you had list, if you had said to me, "Here's the list of people writing books, children's books." I don't necessarily know that I would have had Brian Mitchell higher high on my list, but there we are. So what, t- tell me about the inspiration and tell everybody kind of what, what the book's about. You know, I would have never thought I would either, but I, um, I have a friend of mine uh, and his sister, uh, basically we were having a conversation and, you know, every once in a while I would talk to her. She started doing some social media stuff with me and she was like, listen, do you ever listen to the things that you say? And I'm like, mm, I, really, I just say what I believe and I keep moving. I don't think twice about it. And she said, well, I've been writing things down. And uh, I think a lot of kids, you know, especially in this day and age, need some type of guidance. Because I don't, if you've been around me, I don't take myself too serious about the football thing was a phase in my life. It was a chapter in my life that I tried to be the best I can be at it. But I think the things that really stuck with me are the little things that I was told as a young man by my father, my mother, uh, some teachers that inspired me and my brothers and sisters that basically kept me grounded you know, but also kept pushing me to try to be the best I can be. And just putting those things into words and then also getting some illustration to explain it, you know, something that can motivate some kids. Hell, I, I met with Daryl Pounds who played with me um, a few days ago, had some dinner, I mean, had lunch with him. And he was like, man, you need to write it again, but do it in a form where teenagers can deal with it. Don't have the little pictures like for the children but make it where it's because the messages you gave works for everybody. So uh, I guess it's just, I felt, you know, I had been talking about writing a book called heart because my dad died of a heart attack. Uh, When I was playing, when I played football, people always said that guy plays with heart, you know what I'm saying? And then 
uh, I'm I'm a kind of a philanthropic type person where, you know, I like to help people out. So people say he has a heart. And then she say a champion's heart. You know, let's let's you can do it that and you talk about the little things that helped you and kept you on the, the, the proper path to get to where you want. And it was guidance from my dad who said uh, school comes first. Uh, I had Carolyn and Marilyn Brown, who I was shy when I was in eighth, ninth grade, 10th grade. Those two teachers, my cousins, and their sisters, basically, uh, they would always volunteer me to do stuff in front of the school. You know, Edgar Allan Poe, The Raven, you know, reading, uh, quoting that. Uh, uh, that was Frost, Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. And then being in a speech and drama class, making me do different things and look what business I ended up in. I was majoring in chemical engineering in college, but my coach in college made me continue to do interviews and stuff with him. And I became a guy who's in the media per se. But I just think all those little things along the way. But the one thing that was consistent was I was dedicated to making myself good. I was dedicated to putting in the work. Yes, somebody else gave me something that I work with it. And then the things they said, I did it. I saw the success in it and I kept pushing it. So I think if anybody else goes out there, find out what they love. And like I said in the book, I said, find someone that you don't want to let down and use that person as your mentor. Because what I learned in life is that we will do more for somebody else than we will for ourselves most times. And my mom and dad, I tell people, I, my, my goals in life was to make my mom happy, make my daddy proud. I didn't want to let them down. So that pushed me and that motivated me to go out and do the things that I've done. And if I can spark any child, any child out there, anybody that reads this book, it can be an adult that just want to get motivated. Like, you know, you said, you see me doing some stuff on, on social media, you know, maybe walking or something. Other people have said that. If that motivates somebody, I wanted to do it. And what better? We always talk about the kids are our future. Why not try to motivate our future? I couldn't agree more. I, as soon as we're done with this interview, I'm going to go out and do something right now because I, I, <laughs> I don't want to let, I don't want to let B Mitch down. Uh, so the book is a champion's heart. You can go, all right. You can go to your, your website, bmitch30.com or any of the major uh, Amazon mm -hmm. or any of the major sites and, yes. go, and go get it there. Uh, people want your autograph. Is that a thing or what are, or what are we doing? Yeah, it's autograph as well. I do that stuff too. Okay. You know, well, and, uh, the thing of it is just like I get a lot of people sending me cards. They send the book. I can sign a book for you. And now uh, we've had one book signing, but I'm sure we'll start doing some more where I'll be somewhere near a person and they can get the book signed right there. Oh, wait, I, I think I have Brian Mitchell football cards. I can get you to autograph one of those for me. I don't think I've ever oh, thought to ask you that. Of course, before. You know, you're my buddy, Ben. Oh, well, look at this. It's, I dare, it's I never... Wednesday, man. We get to do whatever you want. <laughs> Apparently that is true. Uh, B Mitch, definitely appreciate it, man. Uh, go, go check out Brian Mitchell's book, A Champion's Heart. Get it for, for a kid in your life. Get it for yourself. Get motivated. And uh, keep listening to, to B Mitch and JP on 106.7 The Fan for all the Washington football team stuff. Thanks, man. Hi, brother. All right. Um, many thanks to Brian Mitchell, of course. Always a, always a treat to talk to him. You can never, never talk about his lack of engagement or enthusiasm for this team. Um, and he, uh, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, I've done a lot of these now, um, you know, these, these, these get to know you questions and you never know where it's going to go. And I liked how he, uh, he responded there on, on a couple of those. Some of them are in very beamity ways, but I, I, I like it that he's authentic to himself for sure. Um, all right. So that's going to be it for this edition of the standing room only podcast. As I said, I'll talk more about the wizards later in this week, but you can check out, uh, 
my conversation with Fred Katz. Presumably it's going to happen tonight after game four, win or lose. Um, and we'll be back more this week with other podcasts. I guess, again, check out my work on The Athletic. A uh, new story up today comparing where the Wizards and the football team um, short-term gain versus long-term progress, as well as OTAs again this week. We'll write about that as well up on the site. That's it for now, though. Always appreciate you guys. Until next time, see ya.